Well, good morning, church. 1045, y'all rowdy this morning? More rowdier than nine, maybe? We'll see, I guess. How about that choir this morning? Sheesh. That's how, that's how you start a good morning. That's awesome. And it, it really does prepare our hearts and our minds to hear from God as we open up his word together. And so I'm excited to be with you, with you here this morning in the sanctuary. My name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb. And I consider it a great honor to be able to open up God's word with you today, that he might teach us something new and transform us into the people that he wants us to be. And so um, we are starting a brand new sermon series this morning, as you saw, called Nothing to Lose. And I would argue that there are so many areas within our life that if we're not careful and too often we live with fear and timidity and shame and guilt and regret. And we live our life in this kind of manner with these words or these attitudes and I'm afraid that we in the end don't end up living at all. There are far too many people who I know who are a part of this church or other churches that you would think would be living life to the full. But instead there's so much fear within our life we don't live at all. And so rather, I believe the Bible has invited us to be able to live a full life that honors him and that honors other people. And so this morning, I kind of want to show you what this means as we begin this sermon series with this one focus this first week. I want to kind of show you what this means in the end. So I don't know about you, like your kids or your grandkids, but the Miller children in the Miller household love a good arcade. Like if you give them a little cup of coins and put them in an arcade, they are happy campers for a very, very long time. They love the rides, earning the tickets. They love playing games. You've never seen someone live with abandon like a third grade kid with $20 of arcade tokens that they didn't pay for. I mean, it's the best like 15 minutes of their life. <laughs> you know, for me, when I go to the arcade, I, only, I know I have only so many tokens. I'm like calculating everything out. I'm like, well, I got four. That seems like a lot for this. And they're like, no way. I mean, they're just spending things left and right. Like, like it's, they've got more to come. $20 of arcade uh, tokens are gone in a heartbeat, by the way. But they'll do anything. They'll try anything. And they'll have smiles on their faces as they do it. And here's what I've noticed. They live as if there's nothing to lose. And that is because it's true. They live as if there's nothing to lose because that pile of coins that's been given to them, they didn't pay for it. Those tokens that are theirs, it was all a gift to them. And so after all, that's what these tokens are meant to do, is to be enjoyed and enjoyed to the fullest. I believe that this morning, some of us need to hear this word today because when it comes to our life and the way that we're living, we're not living in the same manner. This life that we have, all of us, it is a gift. We didn't pay for it. We didn't earn it. It's been given to us by God, and it's been given to us to be able to live and live to the fullest. But many of us were living with fear, and because of that, we're afraid of always what we might lose in the midst of it, rather than recognizing what is already ours. So what we end up doing is we end up avoiding risks every time we turn. We end up being careful not to love in case we might get hurt. We avoid pain at all costs. It's our highest goal. And my question this morning is, what if we were to live our life as if we had nothing to lose? each and every day. And so this morning, as we open up God's word, that's the question I want to answer. How do we live as if we have nothing to lose, even when we face death? Each week, we're going to look at a different aspect, and today I want to look at death and loss. You know, in a room this size, I know that all of us probably have some kinds of commonalities. There's certain things that we share with one another, and there's probably a lot of things that we have differences on. I mean, some of us in the room, we have darker hair, and some of us have lighter hair, and some of us maybe had darker hair than maybe we do today. That's a shot at myself. 
Maybe some of us in the room were Clemson fans and others are Gamecock fans and some of us are neither and God bless you guys. Some of us, we like to get up early in the morning. Some of us are more night owls. But there is one thing that we all have in common. No matter how many differences we have, there is one thing that we have in common and that is this, that one day we will all die. One day we will all expire. None of us get out of this life alive and so because of that, this is something that we all share in common. No one is exempt from it. Now, typically, this kind of conversation about death or the end or loss is a bit morbid and perhaps a bit of a downer, but I believe it's a conversation that we must have. It's a conversation we must have because it's something that is common to all of us. It's something that, if we're really honest, all of us think about. A recent study in 2019 found that nearly 40% of all people who were surveyed stated that they either were somewhat or significantly afraid of death. 40% either significantly or somewhat afraid of death. Maybe because we're fearful of what comes after we take our last breath. Maybe because we're fearful of whatever judgment might come based upon how we've lived. Or maybe we're fearful to say goodbye to those that we love or all the things that we've worked for in this life. I've seen and met people who have this low-grade fear just bubbling just below the surface in everything that we do. And the reasons that we don't do some things is because of this fear as well. But I've also come across people after being in this church as long as I have, who live life with abandon, who live life in the face of whatever is to come, in the face of loss, in the face of difficulty, in the face of death, and recognize that life that they have been given is a gift to be lived right now and today. And so this morning, my my hypothesis or my thesis would simply be this. We can live as if we have nothing to lose and we can live without fear in our life. It is possible for us as followers of Jesus. Now, what I've found is this, this really is hinged upon one really important question. And the question is very simply this. What do you believe to be true about God? Namely, do you believe God to be something that is true and exists or maybe is something that is not true and he doesn't exist? You know, the way that we choose to live our life oftentimes has a lot to do with this and how we feel about this one question in the end so that some of us might face life without any kind of anxiety at all, while others find ourselves full of fear. This has been a debate that has gone on since the beginning of humankind. In fact, in the 17th century, French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal had this to say about this topic. He says, If God does not exist, one loses nothing by believing in him anyway. While if he does exist, one stands to lose everything by not believing. So if you were to boil down what Pascal's thoughts are on this one topic to the simplest form possible, it would essentially say this, either a God exists or he does not. Brilliant, right? Takes a mathematician, a philosopher to figure that one out. I mean, either God is real or God is not real. There's no real in between. Either he exists or he doesn't. And what I have found is that our answer to this one question has an effect on how we choose to live our life, to the fullest or in fear. So Pascal says if God is real and we decide to not believe in him, we stand to lose everything in the end. But if we believe that God is real and he ends up not existing in the end, what have we lost? We've lived a wonderful life only to come to the end to find out there's nothing on the other side. So it's a gamble. It's a risk. It's a wager either way. The biggest question of life and death in the end is a wager. It's a 50-50 proposition. But it is this decision, it is this question, the answer that we have to this question that could mean everything for our lives. Yesterday, 
I had the privilege of being in this room alongside of hundreds of other people as we came to celebrate a man named Ted McGee in his life. And Ted McGee is a man who lived his life to make an impact on the lives of others. He was a businessman, a devoted family man. He was a follower of Christ. And everything that he did, he did it in such a way that he would bless God and he would bless other people. When you heard the stories of all those who came to celebrate him, it became very, very clear that he loved God with his whole heart. He believed that God did exist to the point where he would live his life to the fullest because of it. So just a few days before uh, yesterday, just uh, I think five days before when Ted passed away, I had the chance to go to the hospital the night before he passed. The family called, and so I said, I'll come down right away. And the reason I came is because Ted used to sit in the back left side of the sanctuary right here in the pews right back there. And from the time that I was an intern at Mount Horeb, he would always sit in the back of those pews. When I would walk by, he would wave me over with kind of a frantic hand. And he talked really fast and very excited always. And he was always such an encouragement to me. So even from the beginning of my ministry, encouraging me always. His grandson came through our youth program and his grandson decided to pursue ministry. And he was always so gracious to thank us as a church for investing in his grandson, Nick's life. Just an amazing man. So selfishly, I went down to the hospital because I wanted to say thank you to Ted. So I walked in the room and I sat with the family and clearly Ted was uncomfortable and just hours from his death. And, but the whole time as we sat in the room together, he just kept saying how blessed he was, how blessed he was, how blessed he was, blessed by the church and blessed by his family. And so I got to hold his hand and say to him, Ted, I just wanted to come and say thank you for investing in my life. Thank you for believing in me. A businessman, someone who was well-respected in the community who saw something in me, it means a lot. So I was able to say thank you. And as we sat in the hospital room together, he kept saying, do you hear that music? We said, no, we don't hear any music. He said, those hymns are beautiful. You don't hear those hymns? As we sat in the hospital room together, it became very clear that the veil between heaven and earth was growing so, so thin. To be able to spend the last few minutes with him, he passed away just a few hours later, and then yesterday we came to celebrate his life. When I experience men like Ted McGee, it's the thing that in my heart and in my soul causes me to believe with everything that I have that my hope and my trust and my faith that I have put into God is well-placed, that it's the right decision, that even if I come to the end of this life and find out that it wasn't true, I've lost nothing. I've lived a full life. But if I come to the end of this life and find that it's true, then I get to spend eternity with God. There's nothing better. It's a wager. It's 50-50 either way. And as I said, this conversation has been going on for a long time within human history. The Bible speaks about it often, actually. The Bible has a lot to say about life and death. In the scriptures, here's what Paul writes as he writes to the church in Philippi on this idea of life and death. And the reason Paul is writing this letter in the manner that he is in chapter 1 is because Paul is in chains at this point in time. He's aware in his heart that he could very much lose his life in the coming days because of his faith in Christ, and indeed he does. And so as he is in chains, he writes this, and you can listen to the confidence with which he writes Philippians chapter 1. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, when Paul writes to the church. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul says that his conviction is this, that he doesn't want to come to the end of his life and realize that all that he's placed his life on, all that he's stocked everything on would leave him ashamed. But he says he knows because of the courage that God has given him that in the end he will not be put to be ashamed. That what he's put, placed his faith, hope, and trust on is indeed true. In fact, he prays for courage for this. That Christ would be exalted through his life, whether in life or also in death. And in verse 21, as he says at the very end, he says, It is in Christ that I live. And if I die, then it's gain. This is nothing to lose kind of attitude. This is the kind of attitude that Paul exemplifies. One that as Christians we ought to exemplify in our life as well. Paul is so confident that in his relationship with God that he is, if he's given more time on this earth, then he will do it to live for Jesus. And if his life comes to an end, then he will spend eternity in the presence of Jesus. You might call that a win-win proposition. Paul says either way, I'll live, whether with Christ or into eternity. See, what Paul's describing here is a bit of a Jewish understanding of salvation and eternal life. You see, in our Western culture, oftentimes the idea of eternal life is something that takes place one day when we die. So when we become believers and followers of Jesus, sometimes we look at the world and how awful and painful and terrible it can be, and we might just say to ourselves, let's just hang on till we die one day. Like one, one day when we die and we get out of here, then it'll be good. Then we'll experience eternity. That's not the way the Jewish mind thought about this. It's not the way Paul thinks about this. For them, eternal life was something that began right here and right now that went on into eternity. And so for the Christian, eternal life starts now, not someday when we die. It is possible for us to live right now in relationship to Christ. And one day when we go on to eternity, it is gain. If we have hearts to perceive it like this, then our salvation is a present reality for us right here and right now with future implications. It can change anything. It can change everything. I mean, it is true that right now we have the presence of God living and dwelling inside of us, and one day we will live in his presence forever. It is true as a Christian that right now you are forgiven, and God is working in you and through you, but one day you will be fully restored and made new altogether. So whether I'm on this earth, as Paul would say, I want to live my life in such a way, the way that I speak, the way that I act, the way that I carry myself, to honor Jesus. And one day when my life on this earth has expired, I will go on to the ultimate prize, which is being with God forever. That is a win-win situation. There is nothing to lose here. If I'm in Christ, then I live. And to die is to gain. It reminds me of the great hymn we sang yesterday as we celebrated Ted's life. You probably know this hymn. You've probably sang it many times. But when we left yesterday, I could not stop this one line in this hymn, Blessed Assurance, from bouncing around in my mind. It goes like this, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. But it's the second line that I couldn't stop thinking about. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Oh, what a foretaste. You know what a foretaste is? And with Thanksgiving right around the corner, if you're anything like me, then you know what a foretaste is. <laughs> Because if there's someone in your family that makes like your favorite meal, your favorite dessert, your favorite piece of Thanksgiving, then you're, if, again, if you're anything like me, you're sneaking around the kitchen at all times trying to get a finger or a fork into whatever's being made just to try it before it's already ready. So my wife has a grape salad recipe 
that's been passed down from her grandmother, and now she makes it on Thanksgiving, and it is good. And it helps me know that I've married into the right place. It's the perfect place for me to be. And the way the grapes are done, they're cut in half, and then there's this kind of sweet heaven that the grapes sit in that surrounds the whole thing. And I don't really know what all goes into all of it. It doesn't matter. It just tastes so good. And so in the kitchen, if she's making this grape salad, then typically I'm coming around the corner trying to just get a taste of the stuff that the grape's going to sit in before the grapes actually sit in it. Now, I want to be clear. It's not the fullness of what it's going to be, but it's good. It's not all that it's going to be, but it's a foretaste of what it's going to be. This is what Paul's describing as he writes in Philippians chapter 1. That for us who are followers of Christ, we have this foretaste of heaven. I mean, it's not, it's not heaven in the, in the full. Because one day everything will be made right. One day everything will be restored. There will be no more hurt, no more sickness, no more pain, no more war, no more sorrow. But as followers of Jesus, there is something about heaven that can come to earth by the way that we choose to live our lives right here and right now. It's a foretaste. And it lets us know what's on its way. This is why Paul says, man, for me to live is Christ. I can experience right now. And to die, that's a gain too. Then I get it all. So as we face death or we face loss or we face struggle, disappointment or discouragement, the truth is we can know the goodness of God in our life right here and right now. There is nothing to lose when we live, even when we face death. What I've found in my life in the past four years or so is that there's been difficult times. I mean, disappointment, discouragement, things that I thought would be one way that aren't that way. Things have been hurtful and painful. And it's been hard, to be very honest sometimes, for me to live life and see life through the lens of what Paul offers us here in Philippians 1. But to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, because it's not always just death that causes us to feel like we're being put to shame the way Paul says here. There's all kinds of things. I mean, it's the atrocities of war that are all over our news feeds right now. It's when we have a relationship that comes to an end, it feels like a death. Or when things that we had hoped for are no longer an option. And somehow, right in the middle of all of that, right in that place, we need to be reminded today that when we place our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, that we can lean into the eternal life today that goes on into the future. It's available to us to live life and live life to the full. Paul expounds upon this idea in many different places within the New Testament, but one of them is he writes to the early church in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, he writes to those in Thessalonica. He's addressing a very specific question in the early church at that time. See, Jesus has just died. He's resurrected from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. And everyone in the early church believed he was coming back very, very soon. The problem was there were people within the church who were beginning to pass away before Christ had returned. And some of them were very worried. What does this mean? Jesus hasn't returned yet, and yet our loved ones are dying. So Paul writes them in 1 Thessalonians to calm their fears and give them a doctrinal teaching that shows them they have nothing to lose when it comes to living this life. So here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14. Graciously, he writes, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Paul says, do not worry. Do not worry. 
Though you grieve, you do not grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It gives you hope. First, I love the way Paul writes this because he acknowledges in life that there is grief. Can we get an amen? Life is hard. Life is painful. There is loss. There is pain and loss. To face our own mortality can leave us in anguish sometimes. And Paul agrees that the believer does grieve. There is disappointment. There is discouragement. But we do not grieve like the rest of the world. As he says, who have no hope. You see, the hope for the Christian is this faith in Jesus Christ who did not die and be laid in a tomb, but instead who rose from the grave, victorious. That's the hope that we have for our life as well. That in the end, unlike the rest of the world, we don't see death as the end of the road. We don't see death as all she wrote. But instead in verse 14, as Paul says, it is his life that gives us hope. This is why yesterday hundreds of people could come and sit in these pews and celebrate Ted McGee. Because Ted McGee's life is not over. We will see Ted McGee again. And we will celebrate with him one day. It's for me when I have this sense, if I'm really honest, to look into my heart and recognize that Jesus has done this, not just for everyone else, but he's done it for me as well. And what has happened to Jesus will happen to us. And we too will rise. That's where our hope comes from. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist in the 19th century, He shared that one day he had assigned some ministerial students to conduct evangelistic tent meetings throughout the city of Chicago. And the students were to go and preach nightly sermons as a a means of winning souls to Christ and to practice their preaching. And so Dr. Moody personally showed up one night unannounced to hear some of his students teach. And he came across one of his fledgling young ministers that was preaching the gospel one night in Chicago. And the young man did quite a good job of expounding on the death of Christ on the cross uh, in order to pay for the sins of the world. And at the close of the service, this young man announced to everyone to come back tomorrow night because tomorrow night he would preach about the resurrection of Christ. And after all the people had left, Dr. Moody came and said to the young man, young man, many of these people will not be back tomorrow and they run the risk of hearing only half the gospel. It's a good question for us. Do we only believe half the gospel? That what Christ has done on the cross has paid for our sins, but don't forget Jesus Christ raised from the dead. He's given us victory and new life, not one day when we die in the future, but right here and right now, so that we can live life and live it to the fullest, that we can love, that we can risk, that we can do hard things, and we can be a part of making a difference in the world because Jesus offers us new life. Do you believe in the full gospel this morning? the death of Christ, but also the resurrection of Christ. Our hope is in resurrection. That's where we live each and every day. So here's the hope that Paul shares with his listeners in 1 Thessalonians. The worst thing that could possibly happen to us will not be the last thing that happens to us. But there's resurrection on the other side. Death does not have the last word and final say. Jesus does for the life of a believer. Years ago, I met two twin middle school girls that were coming through our youth program here at the church named Michelle and Melissa. And they were full of life. They were cheerleaders at Lexington, and they came on Wednesday nights, and they were funny. They were hilarious. They were fun to have around. And they stayed involved all through middle school, and they stayed then all through high school and were involved in our youth ministry. They would come each week. And 
in recent years has been a blessing as a church, and I've been so honored to be able to do both of these girls' weddings as they've gotten older, and now to baptize their children in our church. If you want to feel old, that's how you do it. You start working in middle school ministry, and then you marry them, and then you do baptisms for their children. And these two girls were a blessing to us and are a blessing to us. And not long after I met these two girls, I met their mother named Mandy Whitfield. And I quickly realized in meeting Mandy that these two amazing girls got their special nature and they got it honest from her. Mandy's been a part of our church for many, many years and she's been a faithful servant. She's infectiously joyful. She's contagiously happy. She's always smiling. And only a few months ago, Mandy was diagnosed with an aggressive brain tumor and her world has been turned upside down. And she was given months to live But as with the rest of her life, she has lived fearless, and she has lived full, and she's lived as if she has nothing to lose. And so this morning, at her request, really, we had a chance to make a video about her life and to share her story, to be able to share with our church family. And so I want you to take a few minutes and turn your attention to the screens. I want you to hear the story of Mandy Whitfield. for about 15 years. I have two daughters, Melissa and Michelle, and I have four grandchildren, and we've been living in this community, and we really do love Mount Horeb. I got started by taking that first step at Mount Horeb and actually going into a small group. It was a big deal for me to do it. I was scared, but I did it, and it was the best thing I ever did. I got in Pat Browner's small group, and I met a lot of friends, and she got me connected with Compassion, and so we've had the opportunity to work at Mount Horeb, do the concerts, we've been to the township, Colonial Life, we did a huge women's ministry at Myrtle Beach, and we've just had so much fun, but the biggest blessing of all is watching my girls get their children of their own. I've had MS for a long time, and so every year I have to go and get an MRI. And my last MRI showed the spot that was a little suspicious, so my doctor asked me to repeat the MRI in six months. So in six months, there was still something there, so he sent me to a specialist in Charlotte. When I did go see her, I walked in with my daughter and granddaughter, and you know, we thought everything was fine, but in three weeks, when we got the other MRI, I became paralyzed and I was in a wheelchair when I came back and she was shocked and so then she wanted me to go and get a special MRI done to uh, see what we were dealing with and when I did, the tumor had quadrupled in size in a matter of weeks. The next morning we did the biopsy, they came back, you know, stage four brain cancer, worst possible scenario. finding out about Armand's diagnosis, we were in shock. Um, It really wasn't what we were expecting at all to hear that, you know, our time with our mother was really being drastically reduced. You know, the first thought was obviously, what can we do with our time remaining and really the time that'll be lost. We've got four children between us and, you know, they really love their grandmother and they look up to her and they love spending time with her. And we just keep thinking about, you know, she won't be there some days to watch them grow up. 
mom has never once wavered in her faith. Um, she's never questioned why this has happened to her. She's never been mad, sad, frustrated, angry with God. I've never seen her cry being upset. If she's ever cried, it's just been her being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and her faith through it all has just been an example to us and how we should live and take our faith seriously and how we should, you know, just live to walk with Jesus as well and just not fear what's after this because if our relationship is strong with God, then there's nothing to fear and that's when we'll all be together again. So we're just holding on to that for now. Yeah, and as Melissa said, it's really allowed us to have a peace knowing that, you know, she's going home, so there's comfort in knowing that. After getting the um, news from the neurosurgeon, and he pretty much told me, you know, it's pretty bad, and if I operate, it'll grow right back, I just had a calmness over me that I wasn't upset, I wasn't scared, I just knew that God was there with me, and he was going to be with me through this whole thing. I just... I had a peace inside of me that I cannot explain. I cannot explain it. One thing that I feel very blessed about is that I've had a lot of time to think about getting things prepared for my girls and I've had a chance to get everything in order. I feel like it's been just wonderful that this hasn't happened like all of a sudden and I'm gone and I've got some time to watch my girls enjoy picking out things that I'm leaving them and I get to see the joy in their faces, you know, because I wouldn't get to see that if I was gone. One of our favorite things about Mount Horeb is the worship team. We love the music. We can't get enough of Grace Marie and we just love it so much. And so when we're here at the house, we always have our praise music up as loud as we can. And Grace Marie has just blessed us by coming over with her guitar and playing music with us. And we're singing and having such a good time. And she just radiates Jesus. So we feel like Jesus is in this room already. But when she comes over, we're like, oh my goodness. Your name is I know I can't be at church on Sundays, but I look forward to Sunday mornings. I get so excited to watch the praise band. I love watching church on TV. There's so many of my favorite songs, and I know that my daughters are up there singing them as loud as they can, and I'm singing them right here too. And, and uh, I do love I Speak Jesus, and whenever they do that song, I know that my daughters are crying, and I'm crying too. We love it so much. My mom's you know, story and testimony, it's really brought to light that you know, the more you get to know Jesus, the more comfort you have and just the better, you know, things can always be. So it's really called me to want to get involved in church more. And, you know, I always felt like I've heard Jesus in the back of my mind telling me to get involved in um, a certain matter that means a lot to me. So I feel like this is a good time to really start, you know, pursuing Jesus and pursuing things that would make him proud. You know, mom has always talked about mission trips and that being something that she wants to do. One Sunday when we were in church and they were talking about the mission trip to Africa, she had talked about how that was something she would really like to do one day. And I thought, well, here I am, send me. So I went to Africa and honestly, without my mom's encouragement, I'm not sure if that's something I would have done. But because of her, you know, I've grown extremely in my faith and, you know, she's a reason that I've been pushed to where I've been. I can honestly say that I've been working at a jewelry store for 38 years. And I thought I was witnessing at the jewelry store. But since this has happened to me, um, I don't know if this is God's plan for me, but I feel like I've witnessed more people in a month than I have 
my entire life because I've had a lot of vendors and um, salesmen and friends and customers that have called me when they found out and they're crying and I'm like, what are you crying for? I'm happy, I'm at peace, I have joy and they don't understand and, and I just say, you know, if you just get in the Word and you get a relationship with Jesus, you'll know how I feel. The way I look at it is I know that God's right there, He's got my back, He's got a plan for my life. I know that um, He knows the outcome and, you know, I'm going to be healed either way, here or there. We're just hopeful and in prayer that she'll experience just overwhelming healing mentally, physically. But um, we're also very much at peace that if she's not supposed to heal here on earth, that we know she'll be called to heal at home in heaven. And we're, we're okay with that. And we're hopeful for the day we get to go be with her. So if the healing's not here, it's there. Good luck talking after that, huh? <clears throat> and Mandy showed us what it looks like to live as if you have nothing to lose. On Thursday, I had a chance to go over to the house and um, talk with her and Melissa and just tell her what, is, what an honor it would be on Sunday to be able to share about her life. And, and I said, listen, if I could say one thing to, to the people on Sunday, what would you want me to say? Like, what's, what, what needs to be said? And she said, just live. Live life. It's all a gift. Every day is a gift to live this life. She said, Trevor, listen, they, they've told me I, I won't make it to Christmas, but I'm making it to Christmas. She's like, you're going to wheel me into the church, lights on my wheelchair and everything. I'm coming to church, and I'm calling him on Christmas Day. So let's do it. So I felt like, like a million bucks. But I, I, I watch in Mandy's eyes someone that, that sees every day as a gift to them. Like a kid with $20 of tokens that they didn't pay for, just living to the full. <laughs>